0: Democracy will never be defeated. Democracy is non-negotiable. Primary
1: directive. War. Hello and welcome back to the million Dialogue. Um, today, shut the fuck up. <laughs> today we're going to be talking about books one through five from the Iliad. I'm joined by Cleo and Willow, who is drunk.
0: you have to out her right away
1: (laughs) um and as promised she has personally curated a taylor swift playlist for each of these books so i think a good place to start would be her explanation for why she chose these songs
2: thank you so much james (laughs) um (laughs) I want to put a little asterisk here that this is only from the Midnight's album. I did not go through Miss Swifty's entire discography because I simply do not have the time. Um, and I also picked out some choice lyrics from within these songs to sort of exemplify my, my reasoning. Um, and I, We'll take critique from James. Cleo, as a non-Swifty, does not get an opinion in these matters. But anyway, let's start with my choice for book one. Um, I have chosen Bejeweled, but as um, from the perspective of Achilles, singing to Agamemnon is why I've chosen this song. (laughs) Um, First off, James, thoughts?
1: Um... Curious why you chose Bejeweled for the first book from the perspective of Achilles. Um, It starts with the rage of Achilles. Um, I would have thought like Vengeance
2: probably would have been a better song, honestly. See, you might think that, but you would be wrong. (laughs) (laughs) And the reason for that is while we are learning about this story from the perspective of Achilles' rage, um, we first get sort of Achilles being a little bitch boy. (laughs) <laughs> the
0: and maybe those two are the same thing, huh?
2: Well, they they might be.
1: Hold up, hold up. Why is Achilles in the wrong here?
2: Um, I didn't say he was in the wrong. You can be right and be a bitch boy. <laughs> it is not an exclusive Venn diagram, or I don't really know what a Venn diagram is. Anyway. <laughs> You want to hear my quotes? But it's just two separate circles. (laughs) Yeah, what do you call that? (laughs) A syllogism?
1: I think that's called a circle. (laughs) I think that's
2: called two circles. (laughs) Okay, who wants to do geometry with me? Anyway. Um (laughs) so would it would it help to give a little summary of chapter one, book one before I do
0: this? Instead of doing that, I think that you should sing me. The whole song. So oh, I, I heard am, it and I don't know what it sounds like.
2: I am not maybe just
0: a clip. It? James, yeah. you're in charge of our gym?
2: of our I am marketing. Clearly, I've clearly like
1: lost control at this point.
2: Um, where As do we the stand on musical expert? Where do we stand on copyright issues? <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, you are not playing Taylor Swift <laughs> over this fucking podcast. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay, well, would you like to hear my quotes? I would like to hear the quotes. Okay, so since, well, maybe I won't justify it. Maybe I'll just read these and then you can complain to me and I'll justify it. How about that? The first quote would be, um, (laughs) um, baby love. I think I've been a little too kind. Wait, This is from the Iliad? Uh, This is from the Iliad. This is how I think Achilles would express himself if he were a Smithy. So, a.k.a. James. Uh, All right. Okay. Baby love. I think I've been a little too kind. Um, I didn't notice you walking all over my peace of mind in the shoes I gave you as a present. That's my first quote. What do we think? Self-explanatory or no? No.
0: So so can you just just, like flesh out the parallels a little bit for me? Like the shoes. I want to know more about the shoes.
2: Sure. Well, we hear an Achilles, you know, long rant against Agamemnon Mm -hmm. that he, as one of the prized fighters of the Achaeans, has to do all of this warfare, go through all of this hardship Mm -hmm. and still... It's like a capitalist system here in this army. They have to give the majority of their loot up to Agamemnon as mm-hmm. the leader of the Achaeans. Do, do they not?
1: No, that's that's correct. that's
2: correct. Correct. So you know Achilles, he plays the good soldier for the most part. He passes up his loot, but he just wants his one woman. What's her name? He like wore Pricis, his wife, Pricis? Pricis, yeah. Pricis. <laughs> Actually it's Briseis, actually it's Briceous, but okay.
1: Is it? Yeah. <laughs> God, I can't believe all of us took two years of Greek.
2: Right, right. <laughs> yeah, Cleo, you are right. Let's move on. And in in being kind, you know, Achilles would rather give up this one woman that he is so happy to have than let all of the Achaeans die from Zeus's wrath. So He's being kind. And, you know, what was the question?
0: <laughs> I just. <laughs> you started know. it. <laughs> no, no, no. It was my question, and I wanted to know what the shoes were.
2: Oh, I'm sure the shoes that Agamemnon's wearing, Achilles ripped off the feet of some dead Trojan. Okay. 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 Prob- yes. Probably. Probably, right? And he's being <laughs> kind, and he's, you know, allowing Agamemnon to be happy instead of himself for the sake of the Achaeans. So I think first quote nailed it in the bag. No objections? Let's move on. <laughs> uh, the classic line that all Swifties will know, um, familiarity breeds contempt. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. Now, I think this is a good Achilles to Agamemnon quote in that um, Agamemnon has has taken their friendship too far this time. Um, in okay. their familiarity and him believing he has the right <laughs> to demand this woman of Achilles, Achilles now has contempt.
0: I think we might be a little tangled on the motivations, but keep going.
2: Um, and then this one's a, a little bit of a stretch. <laughs> but also oh, this delicious. one's the stretch. <laughs> <laughs> we, i'm drawing her like taylor swift in 2022 <laughs> to the iliad that was written what 3,000 years ago give me some slack here
0: okay you know how you know how achilles and agamemnon were lovers they were lovers and then and then no agamemnon no ruined no, it no, all no, he no, said you no. have to give me your wife
1: you, you, you have save, to do it no you save lovers for patroclus and achilles
0: why cannot mean, a man have Patrick, two please? lovers Why cannot a man have three lovers? Or four? Or five?
2: Only one butthole. Okay. (laughs) I think there's two, at least. For my final quote, um, I have did all the extra credit and got graded on a curve. That's that's a good one. That that wasn't a stretch at all. We're we're on board with that one over the first
0: one? Yeah. Yeah.
1: Achilles has clearly contributed more to the war effort yeah. than Agamemnon has, and he's suffering losses because of it. I think well, that we one fits.
0: all understand the position that Achilles is in because we've all done group projects in high school, and it's just <laughs> like that.
2: It is just like that. It's Leo. just like that. Good relatability for the teens. Do we have any and- teens out there listening? Shut
0: up. <laughs> this
2: one's for the team.
0: Fuck. We are the team.
2: I, I am just a 23-year-old teenage girl. Why is life so hard? Yeah, so anyways, the Iliad. <laughs> <clears throat> Do we want to have a little discussion period on book one or should I move on to my book two song?
1: Is this how we're going to frame the entire entire thing? <laughs> that is up
2: to you, podcast
1: start manager. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I guess we can go with the the Taylor Swift songs as the framing device. Um, (laughs) I mean, I I, I guess transitioning away from that, um, (laughs) I I, I, what I really wanted to talk about uh, with this book, um, and I think more broadly is what exactly is driving uh, these officers, heroes, um, to be here. You know, I think we we see a bunch of competing maybe motivations. especially between Achilles and Agamemnon. Uh, and, I, and I'm curious why it is that you guys think they actually want to be in this war, if they want to be here at all.
2: Hmm. I mean, it, some
0: of it is just, on, oh, I'm, I'm sorry. No, Go I'm ahead. sorry,
2: Camille, the floor is
0: am I'm, I'm more sorry. No,
2: it's impossible.
0: You wouldn't believe
2: it. I'll mute myself. <laughs>
0: I was just going to say something stupid about sunk cost fallacy because like they've been there for nine years already. It'd be really embarrassing if they had to go home at this point and be like, we didn't get, we didn't get the girl. We didn't get shit. A lot of us are dead. Uh, wah, wah. And you know, actually I think that they do in fact say that. I think Odysseus says it when he's trying to convince the crowds to, you know, buck up and stop being so whiny. He's like, we've been here for nine years. It would look really bad if we went home now.
1: Yeah, but I mean, I guess, what's the motivation behind that? Because the, the soldier he beats, you know, sort of, he's a stand-in, I think, for the the regular soldier that's there, the the guy that just happened to be part of one of the crews. Um, it, it can't just be like, we've been here for nine years, I guess we're just going to keep going with this, you know, Odysseus has to want something out of this, Agamemnon has to want something out of this, Achilles has to want something out of this, and, and it strikes me that, they don't really align in what that is, but there, there's these various motivators for why people are involved in, in war. Um, in sort of getting at that, why it is that, that people like Achilles say he's very individualistic, very driven by his own sort of sense of vanity, sense of sense of glory, uh, is willing to put up with this. Well, he's I guess to an extent not.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I think. In the way that you framed your opening question, you were hinting at the fact that there does seem to be a split between the way that you know captains like Agamemnon and Achilles and these heroes, you know whose names we know, think about what is at stake for them in the war versus the way that the common man who gets zacked, <laughs> his ass kicked by Odysseus thinks about what he gets out of being in the war. Um, yeah, I think for the common man, it's it's more like okay, well, I'm here with my kinsmen and I'm here <laughs> to get some goods, and I'm here because it would be really embarrassing if I turned and ran at this point, and also my king is telling me to do it. But at, at least for the captains, it seems like they have something more at stake in that they have the chance for their names to be famous and to be remembered for what they do in war, rather than just you know kind of living out a peaceful life but not going down in history as these great fighters.
1: That seems right for Achilles, anyways. It doesn't strike me that that's really why Agamemnon is there. Um, you know he's kind of he's portrayed as kind of a, a an idiot um, incompetent um it, and I guess is he just there for the riches? Is he just there for you know some sort of political project um, not to sort of go outside of this book, but you know. That That is what Thucydides uh, ascribed his motivations to. So I, I guess, you know, when we think about the, the person that's leading this expedition, is it is it fair to say he's kind of just in this to sack Troy?
2: I think the question of Agamemnon is a little bit strange because we do get this depiction of him as like this guy who's mostly concerned with kind of like personal gain, in a materialistic sense, as opposed to sort of like the view we get of Odysseus or Achilles. But I'm also wondering how, like if that is an important aspect of being the leader of the Achaeans, is the visual representation of your authority an important thing to maintain throughout the war? Like you have to keep morality high for 10 years away from home. Like at least your leader, in some sense, needs to be making tangible gain throughout this time. Mm. As long as, like the soldiers themselves, may not be, they might be getting like you know a chalice or <laughs> I don't know some small sort of thing to be able to add to their take home if they do ever get there. Um, not saying I disagree with the view of Agamemnon. Um, that James was just talking about, but trying to find sort of some deeper meaning in the way he acts, because he is a good leader of the and he does have good friends. He does get them to win this war. So, like, what are kind of the good qualities we can look for in him, him as a general or whatever the equivalent is they call him? I mean,
1: is he a good leader? Um, you know, he he pisses off his most valuable fighter. He does this ridiculous thing in book two where he marshals all of his troops and has them do this fake drill of running back home where Odysseus has to just take over and, and write the ship. Um, you know, I'm not entirely convinced that we're supposed to look at Agamemnon as being particularly competent.
2: Yeah, I agree. I can see that argument too, I guess. I just would maybe wonder like how they have gotten as far as they have without strong leadership then if we're not supposed to view Agamemnon as a uniting force or maybe not supposed to that's like a strange way to talk about books like how do we view him not how are we supposed to view him I guess might be a better question I
0: think one thing that makes it difficult to talk about how Agamemnon rules and the way his character manifests is that you know we start nine years into the Trojan War and so what we know of him is influenced by the fact that he's been fighting for so long so far away from home. And he he puts it himself, he says that he's like trapped in madness and in ruin because of, you know, how Zeus has condemned him to fight and because of the war and because of the fact that he can't go home. And so, yeah, he does appear incompetent in many respects but I wonder how much of it is the decay that has kind of happened to him because he's been in this situation for so long. And, you know, that's something that's gonna be difficult to talk about because we do begin In media res, I know Latin. (laughs) We don't know what he looked like beforehand. But it does seem like when people who are fighting talk about war, they talk about it as a state of being that is not, doesn't align with who they are outside. So, you know, to kind of go off of that, because this is a war story and this is a book about war, I would be curious to see if we can't. Try and figure out what the different social mores and different laws are that govern wartime relations, as opposed to what is acceptable in peacetime.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, on the notion of what's acceptable in peacetime and what's acceptable in wartime, um, I I think that becomes a little more clear as the book goes on, and sort of the the violence between the two escalates, and you see a breakdown of sort of norms between soldiers. I think so far here, there's generally a recognition that the the opposition they're facing is still human. They still have some sort of you know rights accorded by the gods, things to that extent. Uh, you know, I, I think of the the fact that both armies set down their shields and their armor when Paris and Menelaus uh, engage in a duel. They still you know sign their pacts. They they kill the the, the goats, lambs. Um, so there's still norms that exist between them but yeah I mean I think going forward something to, to keep looking at is how war affects those relations between opposing sides
0: yeah part of why I brought us to that is going back to Willow's point about the way that Agamemnon does kind of need to have a tangible gain from the war because he is the person in charge in order to justify to his men that they've been in the war for so long that seems like That kind of extension of property as self seems like something that becomes more pressing in war when you're pillaging. Like Achilles seems to have sort of the same view in that this encroachment on his property of Briseis is an encroachment on him. It's not just this is my thing that I have, that's you've personally dishonored me as a character. And I don't know if that's specific to Greek society, specific to wartime relations or neither
1: i mean i guess you could ask him if it's just specific to a figure like agamemnon mm. um yeah you because know, I, I think of sort of book four um surrounding the the duel between menelaus and paris um, he makes a very specific point that if um menelaus wins they have to get the riches that come with helen and if they don't then the war is back on and then as soon as Menelaus is shot with an arrow, he sort of seizes upon that in a very melodramatic fashion, um, saying, oh, Menelaus, he's going to die here. He's going to be buried here. Is sort of like this way to start the war again. Mm-hmm. So he's very sort of fixated on making sure this war comes to a conclusion that, that gains him wealth. Um, and not to say other characters aren't, you know, sort of bound up in this question of needing to get something. Achilles references this. The soldier on the beach references this. That, you know, they they deserve some share of the spoils. But I think it's much more central maybe to Agamemnon and maybe to the position that he holds than it is mm-hmm. maybe a broader phenomenon.
0: I don't know. Nestor does say you don't get to go home until you've got you a Trojan wife.
1: Yeah, but how much of that is just Nestor, you know, using rhetoric to sort of get the troops to to fight Um I was actually going to point something out very interesting with that, sort of the uh, the section after Menelaus is shot with an arrow. Um, Agamemnon goes around to the various heroes, and he sort of tries to like insult them to get them to fight harder. He mm-hmm. goes to Odysseus, and he's like, well, "Well, why are you just standing around? And he goes to Diomedes, why are you just, you know, why are you standing there? Are you scared? Um, it's very sort of just transparent, riling these men up to fight. And I think Diomedes even even says this. He's like, "Look, he's just he's just trying to to get us to fight harder." Um. And I guess part of that is going back to this question of what the officers want out of this. Um, how do we know when what they're saying is that rhetoric that's getting people to fight versus when it is the truly held beliefs?
0: Truly held beliefs. What do you mean by that?
1: I mean, I, I don't think it would be unfair to say that Achilles is primarily driven by, by glory. You know, that's, that's his primary sort of motivating force for being in this war. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think it's wrong to say Hector's primary motivating force is defense of his sort of homeland, his family, his city. Um, but then I think of, say, you, you quoted Nestor and, you know, you'll get wives out of this the sort of the speech that that's sort of just purely to get people to go and fight. Um And I'm curious, sort of, in that system that Agamemnon uh, holds, and I think Willow made reference to this, of sort of maybe what's driving at a deeper level, how much of what he says is purely just self serving to to get people to go and and gain material wealth for himself?
2: Hmm. I was just looking at that Diomedes quote that you were talking about, James, and it's interesting because even Diomedes is saying, like, look like... Don't be mad at at Agamemnon. Those are some syllabus. Um, But, like, clearly he's just here to rile y'all up. Like, this is his battle. One way or another, win or lose. Like, he's going to be the one with either the glory or the fall. It's this charade that kind of everybody is aware of, but Diomedes is still, like, you know, whatever his rhetoric or whatever sort of this face that he's putting on is for, as the, like, soldier without any glory truly to gain through this war at least you can gain courage he says um well I don't know if he's saying that I'm kind of interpolating a little bit but at the very end he says come and let me and remember our fighting come let you and me remember our fighting courage even though he's kind of like made a point of uh revealing Agamemnon's lies falsehood exaggerations, whatever you want to say. <laughs> like at, at what point do you kind of have to become aware that this is a ridiculous war to be fighting for a ridiculous reason and yet nobody is giving it up? Um, and so how much of it is searching for a reason and how much of it is true reason and are those things really even different at a point? I mean, it's been 10 years, like you have to believe in the lie
1: I mean, I guess you could ask, too, you know, are, are that sort of class of captains and officers just driven by different sets of values? They, they're using Agamemnon's, you know, materialistic war um, as much as, as he's using them and that they want glory and they want, you know, a name that lasts forever. And they're perfectly willing to go along with this because they're getting what they want out of it, too.
2: Yeah, like, nobody really cares about Helen. Yeah. Like, Menelaus does, and Paris does, but other than that, like, who gives a shit about Helen? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. She's not even mentioned until, like, book three in this, like, story. It's about Achilles. Like, this book is about Achilles, Mm -hmm. if you believe the narrator. So, I don't know everybody's here to gain something it doesn't really matter what it takes to get there it seems like
1: yeah i mean i guess that's sort of sort of interesting you know how much does helen serve as just an idealized form of you know or an excuse maybe an excuse (laughs) is a better way to put it for for what their actual motivations are in this war
2: like they're doing the thing that they're fighting against the whole the book starts with achilles and agamemnon stealing these women which is what they're fighting about and then they're getting fucked on by zeus for doing the exact same thing and they're just like ah we'll give this one back but we're still gonna slaughter all <laughs> these trojans to get helen back like what are you talking about
1: i think it's it's pretty fair i think to say that just about nobody fighting in this war is really all that interested in helen
2: um, yeah, I get my mom's the only one who seems to care about the duel between Menelaus and Paris. Like he's the only one who's like, no, Paris cheated. Like, come on, guys, we won. Let's let's <laughs> get our prizes. Come on. Yeah, and even then,
1: he only cares to the extent that there's wealth that comes with it.
2: Right.
0: <laughs> Wait, I don't hmm, I don't remember if this is actually in the Iliad or if it's like apocryphal, but there's that. The story of how Helen gets abducted, it's right that Paris goes to like the court of the Achaeans and is visiting on, um, I don't know, state business? I don't know how these things work. And it's when he's visiting as a guest in their house that he steals her away. Is that correct?
1: Yeah. Um, it's not in the Iliad, I don't think, but it's also disputed, I think, mm-hmm. in ancient sources. It's either he steals her away, as in like a rape, or... Um, she's seduced by Paris and leaves with him. I, I think there's like dueling accounts of of what actually happened.
0: Just Although- because that's kind of like a, that's a direct attack on the sanctity of the home and the laws of hospitality that Greeks abide by. So it's not really about, well, it is about, you know, Menelaus's girl, but it's also <laughs> the fact that <laughs> this domestic offense is also a political offense.
1: Sure, but I mean, I guess at a certain extent, if I'm Odysseus, why do I give a shit? You know, I mean, mm-hmm. I guess it's also again apocryphal, but Odysseus does try to avoid this war. <laughs> um so does Achilles for what it's mm-hmm. worth. Um, and they both eventually end up here. So I, I I'm not sure even really in the ancient sources that that sort of attested to that aspect of it. You know, people really were all that invested in Helen outside of Menelaus, maybe Agamemnon.
0: Mm-hmm. But that's where we can see those sort of competing motivations because I could see a way in which, you know, Odysseus and Achilles and the ones with names that we remember are there because, you know, it presents a stage. It's a place for them to have their little fights and win their little glories and make a name for themselves. Whereas, you know, the men who are there because their captains and their kinsmen are there are there because there was an offense against their people and their culture. I don't know. I never quite remember. Like I know that the Achaean army is all these disparate groups of like different races, different peoples, but I, I lose track of <laughs> who's who.
1: Well, you shouldn't because there's a whole section that details absolutely everybody in the entire book.
0: It's crazy. It's crazy. I, I I can't read actually, but only <laughs> for book two of the Iliad. <laughs> I open the book to it, and my eyes they start to water, and I cry—real tears.
1: Well, that's crazy because that's the next part I wanted to talk about.
2: Talk um, me. <laughs> Isn't that a Chips. good transition?
1: Yeah, Willow, would you like to talk about uh, book two and the Taylor Swift song that goes with it?
2: Oh, wouldn't I, James? <laughs> Um, for book two, once again, Agamemnon is involved, uh, but this time it's from the perspective of the troops and their singing at Agamemnon, Uh, and this time the title actually fits, unlike last time. This one is called You're on Your Own, Kid. So from, from there, James, do you have any initial thoughts or should I get into my quotes?
1: I'd like to hear the quotes first.
2: <laughs> okay. First off, I would like to say once again try to do some like three, four thousand year stretch here. Uh, so this one. I like
1: how the years get longer every time. <laughs>
2: when was, when the, when was Nobody's this? Nobody's quite sure when this book was written. Stop. I'm going to hold on. I've got Google at my fingertips. <laughs> hold on. I'm doing some Googling.
1: Uh, this is our best
2: episode yet. <laughs> That's what we have you for. I think
0: we're striking an optimal balance <laughs> between Taylor 45. Swift. Okay,
2: sorry, <laughs>
0: sorry.
2: So let's continue,
0: Cleo. I was going to say that I think we are striking an optimal balance between Taylor Swift and literary analysis. We
2: gotta get something to bring the people in.
1: Yeah, let me tell you, we're filling a niche that doesn't exist anywhere else.
2: <laughs> <laughs> okay, we are making the niche. <laughs> That's what marketing's all about, baby. All right. Okay. I feel the need to like justify this one as I'm going because it is a little bit ridonculous. Uh but okay, so we start book two, as James was saying earlier. Uh <laughs> Zeus is trying to trick dear old Agamemnon. And it's like, you're going And then Agamemnon's like, let me test these troops out real quick. Let's say we're going home and see what these bitches do, right? <laughs> And this is, this is, this is what his troops say to him post-tricking, in my opinion. Um, summer went away, still the yearning stays, I play it cool with the rest of them, I wait patiently. That one, I feel like, self-explanatory, right?
1: Yeah, they've been away for a
2: long time. Like 10 years. Yeah,
1: they they yearn to return home.
2: What are you confused about, Miss Jabin? No, go on. I want to hear more. Second quote. (laughs) I didn't choose this town. I dream of getting out. (laughs) There's just one who could make me stay all my days. Get it? Because Odysseus, he's the one who's like, no, don't go. Have honor and courage. No, are we not on board?
1: No, I'm on board. I'm on board. I get that one. That was good. Okay.
2: All right. Okay. Now this one, I think, is the best quote of them all. I searched the party of better bodies just to learn that you never cared. You're gonna have to explain that one to me. Um, of more able-bodied soldiers, Agamemnon don't give a fuck if you die.
0: Yeah.
1: No, she's right on that one.
2: Okay. Alright. Okay, I have two more. Oh my god. <laughs> now, as this is the titular quote, <clears throat> you're on your own, kid. You always have been. <laughs> what do we think?
0: Is that from the perspective of the army speaking to Agamemnon? Yes! Okay, just, qu- just make sure. Oh, I get sense.
1: it, because they're leaving him. Because yeah. Yeah, they're yeah. leaving they're him like to
0: die.
2: Yeah. And they don't care.
0: <laughs> I'm
2: careful. Okay. Now this one, this is my last one. And it's a little bit of a long one. So stay with me. <laughs> the jokes weren't funny. I took the money. My friends from home don't know what to say. I looked around in a blood-soaked gown. And I saw something they can't take away. <clears throat>
0: Is there, I've got some questions They're not about the Iliad, I just want to know more about Spiritus. Is she okay?
2: No Yeah. <laughs> Is she like, what's she going through right now?
1: She's going through being 16 For the rest of her life
2: right? I think she's engaged, honestly <laughs> Yeah, she's been really? dating someone
1: for like four years now His
2: name's Joe That's a game changer
1: So I guess you guys are going to fucking hate this But I am curious about the whole Catalog of the ships thing Actually,
0: um, it's it's my turn to ask the question. And I want to ask a very important question, which is why why okay. should I care?
2: Yeah. Well, if you this were is actually a Greek serious boy. question.
1: Yeah, I, I, will, I will tell you and explain why I think you should care about you know, this. I'll section.
2: tell you and explain why you should <laughs> care. All right. Guys, guys, take turns. I have two ears. Okay, I'm going to be honest. I don't have a modern reason why you shouldn't. Okay, I do <laughs> have a modern reason. I actually I actually had a serious point to make
0: what if willow tells me more about how
1: uh, he, she was a little greek boy yeah, i can tell you about
2: shut, if i was a little greek boy
1: okay shut the fuck up
2: yeah so i guess
1: what i'm really curious about here is why why they go at such great length to tell us about the people involved in this war every captain all the soldiers who are killed you know they don't just name them, but they they tell where they're born, who are their fathers. They tell them about their lives. They used to hunt. This is the bow they got when they were a child.
2: Okay, well I have and, a serious oh answer my fucking for this God. question. Can I, uh...
1: can I finish? I'll fucking kill you.
2: That's what she said. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, and James.
1: I guess it makes me think of modern wars say like ukraine where you know you, you get this photos of the soldiers on the front lines the hometowns their families who they are and I, I guess i'm very curious about the nature as to which homer in this book goes out of his way to connect what the soldiers are doing on a battlefield to the home front so this isn't just some disconnected thing but it relates to their families, their lives, who they are. It sees them as people, not just soldiers at a front.
0: Okay. That was just my question, but longer.
2: Okay. Can okay. I say my answer now? Sure. Yeah, please. I did some research because you said you wanted to talk about this. So I did a little investigating. Um, and what I learned, and I'm happy to be wrong because this is from the internet, <laughs> but it seems reasonable. What I learned is that since this was like an oral story that was told to crowds of people, um, it was mostly so that when you were in a specific region or around a specific group of people, you could read or recite the passage that related to where these people were from, like where their ancestry came from. And if you were going to tell the story of the Iliad, you were not going to read the catalog of ships as we read it. You were only going to hear the part that related to you and made you feel connected to the story. So it was like regional, what part of the catalog of ships you would hear about, not let's learn about all these different people and where they come from kind of thing
0: yeah but so it's, I mean, a, it's like the guy who gets up on stage like what's up
2: philadelphia yes it is exactly <laughs> like that guy <laughs> that's why i wrote that freshman year <laughs> All coming <from> together
1: <laughs> yeah but i mean i guess i want to ask you so this is something that we still do people have always done this you know the the soldiers at the front aren't just like nameless faces but they're real people and i guess it, it strikes me that that's more of what's going on maybe than just uh, the the rock singer in Philadelphia saying, hey, what's up, guys?
2: <laughs> I like yeah. that we're a Philadelphia podcast. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I mean, does that, does that seem right? Does that, am, am I just stretching it?
2: No, it does seem right. But okay, here's my question, if we're going to talk about this and like how it relates to like us as people today who still care about war and yeah. war stories. My query is like is it because of globalization and the development of the internet that we sort of care about like when we hear about war stories it's like cool if somebody's from your state or like near your hometown but the cooler part is that they are American like point blank period um and that's like not the way the catalog of ships is said in the Iliad and so Maybe, I mean, you were actually in the army, James. Like, you might have a different opinion on yeah, this. Yeah, I, I was in I fucking
1: war, but...
2: No, you were not in war, but, you know, I'm sure you knew people who were in war. I, I
1: did know a couple, yeah. Well, one or two.
2: Right. Um, I don't know. Do you think that's true, or do you think I'm being, like, a little too insensitive with that comment?
1: No, I mean, there is definitely differences, right? You know, you you see them as a broader community maybe than you would have in ancient greece but i still think it's some level you're identifying with some community that's yours that's probably stayed the same is that you know you see an american and you go yeah that's that's one of ours maybe less so than our hometown but even then you know i think I recall stuff, you know, say from Iraq where people would come home and they'd have parades in their town, stuff to that effect,
2: mm-hmm.
1: the sort of pride that, that somebody from your own community was a part of this, you know, it, it, it strikes me that that's a part of what's going on here.
2: I wonder if there's, it's like what we we're talking about from book one, like the personal glory that these individual soldiers feel, if that is somehow extended to a communal glory from somebody who was raised in the community or has direct impact on the community, like their glory sort of diffuses across everybody. At least that's how it feels personally when things cool like that happen. Mm -hmm. I don't know, like whatever random story you have from growing up where something cool happened in your community, like you're a little bit prideful of that when it happens, when it occurs.
1: Yeah, and I I think in the context of the war too, it, it helps, make sense of it for people who are at home in a way um you know you have to explain i guess to a mother why their son died and this kind of goes to doing that it says who they were and what they were doing in a way that maybe doesn't occur in gilgamesh you know you don't know who any of these fucking people are they're just random random guys but you know when when you talk about in this sense you get an idea that there was a group of of people who were who were real from this town and maybe explaining to people back home what they were doing plays some sort of role in this does that does that I, seem fair
0: i see your point james but it, in the catalog of ships it seems like the focus is more on what they do before the war and where they come from so that the actual deeds that they're going to be remembered for are not really the focus of what's listed here
1: Yeah, I mean, I guess maybe the focus isn't so much on deeds, but it's the fact that you know who they are is the important aspect to me.
2: I have a question that might be like adjacent to this, but might be useful. Um, Why is this put in the same book as when they all decide it's acceptable to run away from this war?
1: Yeah, I don't don't fucking know.
2: (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> Why not? I suppose he hmm, begins with the invocation to the muses and the way that he puts it is kind of like a perspective of all of the people that you can't keep track of that, you know, if you were a goddess and you were a muse and you were looking down on this, you might be able to see in order. I wonder if we're supposed to see some sort of scope in the catalog of ships in that, you know, the the coral that we see is so personal and so small, but the way that it sort of spirals out and plays out in war, it just gains and gains momentum until it's this gigantic thing, which I think is easy to forget when you're just reading about, you know, petty little Achilles and Agamemnon going, give me my girl back, <laughs> but there's a lot of people here.
2: Yeah, it is nice too that this at least comes before book four when you just hear about like entire lines of soldiers being slaughtered in seconds. Mm -hmm. There's at least a personal glimpse before you sort of lose the reality of like the actual destruction that's happening.
1: Homer makes a very concerted effort to, to paint these as people with full lives, with parents, with homes. When, when they die on the battlefield, it's not just some, you know, faceless guy. But, um, and maybe maybe to me, that's sort of reading into to literature. I've read from a modernist sort of writers on war who depicted as a faceless slaughter who see people die and it just moves on to the next person. And it's sort of striking reading the differences of how they treat um. People who die in war.
0: I, mean, I think I would say that it's almost not surprising to me that Homer does this because it is so early. I think that what you've been talking about in terms of nameless slaughter and you know losing the individual to wartime is almost a, a, a phenomenon that goes along with industrialization we're gonna talk about james's senior essay now
1: yeah it's it's almost like i have a personal stake in this question
0: yeah, right. <laughs> but yeah it's a different conception of a person so you know it's not surprising to me that in this sort of smaller scale warfare they do still have fleshed out depictions of people with lives
2: i do want to posit maybe one other possibility for its placement in that. The fact that it comes right after their like agreeance to just flee and like not finish this war out, um. it's like I don't know the motivation that they're going to have to feel to put their effort into this war again. We're sort of being I don't know imbued with some sort of pride as well, or you know not us, but who this poem was originally intended for. Um, they're going to hear somebody from their hometown or from someplace they're near to and feel pride and have hope for them to win in the same way that these soldiers might need. I don't know, trying to sort of make the characters in this poem and the listeners of this poem have a shared emotion in this moment. I feel like it's hard to actually like feel how desperate it much must be or how lonely it must be to actually be at war for 10 years. Like that is a completely foreign concept that I will never understand, but this at least I can get at the hope that they need or something like that.
1: Are I mean, are they driven by hope? Is that, is that really much of an operative thing for them at this point?
2: Like, They are going to have to fight one way or another. Achilles is the only one with an out for this war. Achilles and his men are the only ones with like a justifiable out for this war. Everybody else is going to have to fight regardless of their emotions toward it. But at least with some hope, you'll have a better chance of surviving or having more courage. Something that's like a little bit more honorable than just being one of these faceless, nameless men who gets slaughtered in an instant by one of these heroes that at least gets their name carried on throughout millennia
1: okay so since we've been going for so long i think it's probably best to cut this into multiple parts um ahead of the next part uh, willow do you want to give a preview of why it is that you chose the song that you did for book three and four
2: you know what james i do i do want to do that (laughs) okay so book Three and four are both going to get the song, The Great War, which is a fitting title, but also a fitting quote choice, in my opinion.
0: Tune in next time for Why Willow Booked. Why Willow picked a song called The Great War for two chapters about a book about
2: a great war? Look, it's not my fault that t is a is a prophet of our times. So perfect song title for what I'm looking for. You will not believe
0: what she has to say about this.
2: <laughs> also, I was thinking about this. Isn't it a little pro that she named a pop song after World War I?
1: In a Pro-pro?
2: James, you're thirty. Let me. I'm twenty-seven. 20 on <laughs> yeah, on that note. <laughs> okay, let me read you my quotes. Um, just I'll one. Give...
1: Just one. I'm limiting you to one quote.
2: God, but they're so good. Okay. Can... <laughs> okay. 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 So this choice for book three, these quotes I'm going to read you are from Helen to Menelaus. Okay. Okay. Um And this ties into what we were talking about before, but I have to state that these quotes were chosen with the fact that Aphrodite is the one that made her fall in love with Paris. It's not her fault, and she's still a Menelaus stan, okay? Okay. I think maybe this podcast
0: okay. was a mistake.
2: So my first quote that I'll <laughs> leave us on, and I can read you the next ones next time if people like this concept. My first quote is, um, all that bloodshed, crimson clover, uh-huh, sweet dream was over, my hand was the one you reach for, all throughout the Great War, always remember. All right, yeah, on that note, um, <laughs> this has been
1: books one and two of the Hilliad. <laughs> if I don't delete all of this, I uh, hope to see you guys um, for the next part.
2: Hey and the good thing is we'll actually be punctual with the next podcast if you want to be on (laughs) the words.
0: Yeah, thank you you guys. guys. Bye. Bye. Bye!